one shot at a time. Welcome back to another week of Enjoy the Walk podcast, ladies and gentlemen. If you've tuned in since season one, you'll know exactly who we have on the podcast this week. Uh, Pretty special episode because we're going to get the inside look at what the PGA Championship looked like, not only from inside the ropes or just outside the ropes, but also from inside the fairways. We have Trevor Larson on the show, who was maybe on a John Deere, quite possibly placing some pins. And uh, we'll hear the 411 on how tough that course was looking from a greenskeeper's perspective. So, Trevor, thanks for joining us again, man. How's everything out there in the uh, the great state of California? That was a good intro and heavily overdone. Uh, it's 109. It's it's real hot. Uh, the championship was great. It was San Francisco, so it was 65. It was gray, and then the sun broke out about 1 o'clock or 11, 1 o'clock area every day. It was beautiful. It was a good time. There's something about the weather in San Francisco that I always feel like just completely disconnects itself from everyone's California, you know, typical uh, inhibitions of what it's supposed to be. The fog rolled in, I feel like, early and often that week, too. Did that affect you guys? I'm just going to jump right into it. Did that affect you guys from a greenskeeping perspective of, like, getting everything that needed to be done done on the course as heavy as some of that fog rolled in? Oh, not at all. They do it every day. It, it was majority of the staff is, is TPC Harding Park staff, or they came over from the Olympic Club, which was just across the pond there, quite literally the pond. And no, it, it doesn't do anything. It's a little annoying uh, trying to drive around when it's, you know, 3.30 in the morning. Um, but other than that, it, it doesn't affect anything. It doesn't really create any more do than it's already out there. And they have all of their equipment that they need to keep everything right on top. That's awesome, because I feel like a lot of people, when they look at that from the pictures that are taken, say, how in the heck do they keep these lines so pure, so crisp, when they, when they know you're out there so early in the morning? Uh, and, and that's just a testament to how good you guys are and how good that staff is to really get everything looking so pure when you guys are out there, you know, almost in the pitch black waiting for the sun to rise and that thick of fog. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, 4.45 start in the morning. There's about 50 to 60 guys and girls on the crew. Uh, and it's a get moving. And then there's a PM crew as well. So everything got rolled, mowed, everything twice a day for that tournament for that whole week. And, uh, I mean, I haven't seen a public course that pretty in my life. I mean, if, if you can't believe it, if a lot of people probably don't even know TPC Harding Park is a public course, and it is, it's technically a muni. If you really wanted to break it down, it's owned by the city. It's pretty insane. It's incredible that California can put on two of those muni-style courses. You know, obviously, Torrey Pines down in, in San Diego, but also, you know, TPC Harding Park up in the northern end of California. It's amazing that, I mean, obviously, the state is so large, but that they have not one but two munis that serve as major championship courses. And, and we all got to see the, you know, TPC Harding Park on display this past week. But, you know, let's, let's take a rewind real quick. How in the heck did you get the opportunity to do this? Because I feel like it's a very select few, obviously in the golf industry, but then if you take the broader scale of very select people in the entire country that ever get to work a major championship style venue on the grounds crew side of things. Well, I mean, it's kind of like fight club. You, you don't talk about fight club. Uh, <laughs> No, it, it's, you got to know the right people. You got to have a supportive superintendent who knows some folks and you pretty much just have to know someone. Uh, ultimately, if you're into industry, it's really not that difficult if you're way ahead of the game. Uh, 
I was lucky enough, especially during this COVID time, to be able to be ahead of the game and get in as a volunteer uh, and be able to do, you know, the grounds crew stuff. But it's if you're out of the industry, if you're not a greenskeeper or anything like that, you're, you're not going to get the opportunity. I mean, it's a major championship. That course is pristine. But it's, it's pretty much you got to know someone. You got to make the right phone call, the right email. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you're in the industry, it's, it's not that difficult to get into your local one. Just make sure you get a hold of them months in advance. That's pretty epic. And I know, so looking back on, and Dante will know the course I'm talking about, um, Elmhurst Country Club um, out in the Scranton area. I used to work grounds crew there. Granted, I was never any kind of assistant or super. I was just general labor at the time when I was going through college. It's a way for myself to get more free golf over the summer. Um, but when I was there, they had the, I believe they had the U.S. Open out at Oakmont at the same time. So our assistant super was able to go up and, and serve on their staff um, up at Oakmont. And it was really cool to hear. And at the same time, too, I really didn't know the ins and outs of the industry yet. I was really just getting started with my infatuation with the industry itself, um, more as like kind of diving into the industry, not just as a player. Uh, but it was really neat to hear him say, too, because he got to serve, I think, four days there was his was his serve. He, he did a lot of like kind of the pre-work and then into the Monday, Tuesday. But I, I want to kind of hear, because he, he kind of touched on this too, and, and I'll try and relate them back and forth between each other. But what days were you there, and, and what exactly did you end up doing to, to serve that grounds crew volunteer spot? So I was there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, obviously, there's the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of it all as well. But, you know, I, I have to work and pay my bills at the same time, and the volunteer position is not going to pay that. Uh, and then the drive to San Francisco was it's an hour 45 from my house. So I was, I was commuting quite a bit. Um, but yeah, so the Thursday, I was there for every competition day uh, in the morning. Uh, they didn't need me for the afternoon. It was mainly the bigger equipment operators that were out there. So I just got to do a lot of morning detail work and then hang out as long as I wanted. And got to watch a little bit, which was very cool. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, that was all really good days. <laughs> so, so what does that detail work look like? You know, I saw a couple of your pictures. You had pins in hand um, at, at, at certain points throughout the week. You know, what, what exactly were you doing to kind of make sure those little details and maybe some things that people even wouldn't think about that go into that detail work that you guys were really focusing in on as part of that volunteer crew? Yeah, my main job was, was setting up the tees, uh, tee boxes and everything around them. So one thing you probably don't notice is all of the broken tees. They're picked up every single day. Uh, I got Colin Morikawa's, so that's pretty cool, champion. Uh, you know, I got to pick up a couple of them, and they're recognizable, which was neat. But I had to, you know, pick all those up, make sure the grass is, was mowed correctly. You got to wipe the dew because the pros do not like water on their shoes at any points. So there's literally giant shipping ropes that are dragged across the dew every morning. Uh, blow them off, make sure all the signs are correct, and then move on to the next one. Um, in between, you know, you had to make sure that everything was blown. It's San Francisco. It's windy. There's a decent amount of pine trees and oaks and everything. There's blowing needles and leaves all over the place. So some of the approaches on like 17 approach was one that we had to blow every single morning. It got pretty brutal. Had to help blow off some of the greens and some of the uh, sand traps as well. And then when we were around, uh, I got to partake in some of the cup cutting, which was really neat to see exactly how they do it. It's very similar to how your normal greenskeeper would be doing it, but they have a couple extra little tricks uh, that I got to bring to my club now and uh, and use for the rest of my career. Speaking of the deuce, 
dew sweeping. Now that makes a lot of sense because I'm a dew sweeper. A lot of the guys I play with on the weekend are, you know, we're out first couple of tea times. So we're dealing with the dew and, you know, I'm coming off at like nine and the back of my pant legs are just soaked. My shoes are wet. <laughs> socks are a little bit. And then you watch the pros and they're out in the morning. I'm like, how did they just look so good out there? Where they're, I mean, I know their pants are tailored, major, like most of them. But still, I'm sitting there. I was like, they, they, you see not a lick of dirt or any type of moisture or even like stain on their clothes. I'm like, I'm wondering what the hell is going on. So now I know they get the ropes out and sweep the dew and mm -hmm. call it a day. Shit. They, they do it even on the fairways too. They, yeah. they do the whole fairway, the approach, obviously the green. The greens get mowed, so that kind of gets rid of it. But see, everything, it's the whole thing. And That's... that rough, as anyone watched it on the TV, that rough was no joke. That It was ankle-deep rough. And they did a pretty good job explaining it on the TV with just a ball, but it was easily four and a half, five inches. And they even do, do it some of that stuff. Like, it was crazy. I mean, and that's the thing that I always wonder, too, and I'm glad you touched on it because sometimes I feel like there's a disconnect between how it actually plays and how the announcers are describing it, you know, and I felt like, and, and I'm glad you mentioned it because I felt like you had maybe a little bit more understanding of what that rough truly looked like or what the conditions looked like, um, and, and that's really neat to hear. I mean, dew sweeping the rough, I feel like maybe other venues do it, but I, I just feel like that's not a common thing you hear about when, when you talk about tour venues and, and maybe they do. And that's just something we never hear about, but I, I'm amazed that they even do swept some of the rough areas. Well, well think about it. A typical event's going to have spectators. There's no spectators. There's no one there to walk on the rough, which is the majority of it. And they didn't really sweep every single braided flat. They got a little bit out of, of, of the fairways, but typically you're going to have volunteers running around. You're going to have the marshals, the scores, security, fans everything that's going to get it onto their shoes and so the pros don't need to worry about it and so that's partly why they did it a little bit more there this last weekend or i guess the weekend before last now uh, and uh yeah man they just we didn't have that uh extra free help of the uh spectators well and let's get into that because that was something that was you know obviously talked about from the minute it was decided that they weren't going to have spectators but still go on with the event um, and then from your perspective, who actually got to kind of see a lot of really neat moments happen uh, throughout the weekend, what was it like out there? Was it noticeably different from like players' reactions? Like, could they, could they kind of obviously note that, okay, there would have been a roar after I made that shot? Like, were there players kind of reacting in a jovial sense of like, oh, there should have been a roar there when I made that shot? Or was it just business as usual for these guys? Oh, no, you, you could tell that they were missing it. I mean, uh, Thursday, Tiger hit that 30, 40-foot putt, however long it was, on 13. And there's about 30 of us around, cameras, uh, some of the ground staff, security guys watching. A couple of them clapped and kind of, ah, oh, I don't know if we could do that. And, he, you know, he gave a little wave. And, I mean, we've all seen, like, Justin Thomas and Tony Finau, a couple of those guys, you know, just ironically waved and nothing. But they know, and and – not having that roar you can tell it's not it doesn't seem as fun but a lot more of them seem a lot more locked in and i think that's why we saw so many guys at the top of the leaderboard on such a difficult course not only with the rough and everything but just the weather conditions the wind was whipping in different directions each day 
And there was, I can't remember, I think there's eight or 12 within three strokes to the lead on Sunday. And it's so many guys are just locked in. There's no nonsense. I mean, they had Bryson DeChambeau and Patrick Reed in the same group. And there's no one there to heckle them. Like, what? Dude, come <laughs> on. Like, that would have been amazing. And that's probably the only time they could ever be paired together. I mean, yeah, let's, let's talk about where, why you were on 13 at, for that 30-footer. And, and, you know, you were talking about how the, the shop kind of sits right there on that point between 13 and 14. How cool was it from your perspective? I mean, I'm just looking here between 13 and 14. The shop's obviously off in that, like, southern corner of the, of the real estate. Like, you basically, to get out and cover the rest of the course – have to, I mean, when you're on 10 and 11, you, like that's complete other side of the property from where, from where that shop is. How cool is it to kind of see that really awesome, I, I think, you know, picturesque moment of, of Tiger's whole week at that kind of junction point between 13 and 14? Well, anytime you get to watch Tiger, whether it's on TV or especially in person, it's, you know, it's a walking legend. Uh, but it was just easy enough to be able to walk out there and not fight the crowds like we had to do at pebble beach for the u.s open last year or you know try and plan out your day of which hole you're going to go to three hours ahead so you can see him just being able to just walk out there with you know little to no ambition or care of what's going on and just like oh dang there's tiger woods you know the greatest golfer to ever do it or one of it it was insane and i remember we had the hospitality grounds tent it was built for us, you know, they gave us food, they hooked us up, you know, they took care of us, and they had TVs in there, so we got to watch the event, and obviously TV lag, you see them land on 12 green, oh, I'm going to go pop my head out there, so we did get to kind of anticipate when that group was rolling through, um, but, you know, I got to see him tee off on 14, him, Justin Thomas, and Rory, you know, three of the greatest players on the tour, I was eight feet away. I just had to kind of fight off and not be in the way of the 15 cameramen following that crew, including a, a gator with the like tower camera on it um, that wasn't following literally any other group or person. Uh, but other than that, I mean. So I you're saying from, you're saying there was a tiger cam is what you're saying. hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll send you, I'll send you a couple photos of it. It was literally just a regular gator one of the few John Deere things there, it had like the movie theater or movie like studio style swing camera that they could reach out and like get the really close view of them and everything. It was the only camera out there of its kind following any group and it was just for Tiger. I love that. I love the, not only respect, but I love the grind to make sure Tiger gets more coverage than anybody else because we all know he does. We all, that, that's not even like a, a, up for debate. But the fact that there's a specific camera setup that was not used for anybody else <laughs> the entire week, that's phenomenal. It shows the, the meter that he moves. He moves the needle. He is the needle. People talk about that all the time. And he's got his own gator camera crew. That, that's pretty phenomenal. Um, yeah. It's just uh, – it, it's always funny for us, too. And I think we look at it from a per- perspective of, like, obviously we were the masses that had to watch it on TV this year. Um, 
and like you like you mentioned earlier there was so many people vying for that spot i'm gonna jump over that because i'm not gonna let you have that one (laughs) um you know it, it just it was cool it was cool from a tv perspective man there was no fans yet it was one of the most captivating weekends of major championship golf i think we were able to watch and i want your perspective on it too because you were obviously there for the weekend what was it like? Cause you, I mean, I feel, did everyone have a feel? Did everyone have a sense? There were still the scoreboards up, you know, letting guys know where they were at coming down that back nine. Like in, in an after round interview, Colin Morikawa said, I stepped up to 16 knowing I had to make a move because I knew where I was at. So like even sans the fans without the fans, I think there was still somehow some way, and this is the beauty of golf. I think, there was still that major championship pressure on these guys. Like, yes, there wasn't 5,000, 6,000 eyes on them on one fairway, but I still think there was this major championship pressure coming down the stretch for these guys. Well, like they, the event before, they were saying they didn't know who was winning. I can't remember who won it or whether they – I just remember they, they don't remember who was winning. They didn't hear any crowd roar. They, you know, oh, it was when, uh, when Brooks choked and put it in the water. Like, they, they, he didn't know. Because there's no O oh or ah or ooh, or they couldn't cheer when he hit that ridiculous 40, 60, whatever foot birdie putt. It was crazy. And at TPC, I took note of it because I was like, I wonder what they're going to do to have these guys know it's happening. There was probably a scoreboard on almost every hole. And they had it positioned to where it wasn't in a line of sight of your tee shot. They either had it, fa- they had it facing the green from the tee or it was way out of the way and they had it to where it was pretty hidden from the players from their shot perspective. So you're not looking down the fairway at your tee shot at a glowing board at, you know, eight in the morning in San Francisco where it's still pretty dark out. And they did a great job of having that for the awareness of the players. And then I'm sure the caddies probably had a little more technology there either their phone or like something in their ear to say it. But I honestly, I really think it was the scoreboards at TPC Harding Park that they put very strategically all over the place to let these guys know what was going on. And I'm, I'm sure they appreciated it more rather than kind of wondering. And then that shot that Colin hit on 16, my God, like he nailed it. And it was, uh, I stood on that tee box every morning looking at it. And it was just kind of like, someone's going to do something here and it's going to be awesome. And well, lo and behold, he does it. The kid played a cow down the street in Berkeley does it. I mean, how not 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 to mention the shot itself, but let's let's take it back and talk about him playing right down the street because I, I felt like going into it, a lot of the a lot of the you know announcing heads and everyone talking about it was like, oh, someone local's gonna win it. What whether it was they were talking about Tiger, they were talking about Phil, they were like you know the Cali guy that just moved away, but he still got the Cali roots. Like they were talking about the old heads. No one, I mean, and people mentioned Matt Wolf. Colin Morikawa, for some reason, got thrown, I feel like, under the bus of not getting mentioned the entire week leading up to this tournament. And I don't know if that fueled him, but for that kid to not only be in the mix the entire week, but to pull off hands down the shot of the tournament and hands down, the, I think, the shot of 2020 so far with, with, with a lot of majors coming to go, you know, how, how storybook, and I always, Dante and I agree with this all the time, I feel like, golf has a way of just writing its own storybook ending without – really having to to pressure someone into the situation and, and what better way to see Colin step up and do this and I feel like like you said 16 was set up for something crazy cool to happen JT drove it with this awesome little kind of lining bullet of a fade early in the week but it 
that was insurmountable because it didn't have a, an effect on who won or who, who came out the winner. But for him to do that with three holes to play, knowing that, hey, man, if I miss this left, I'm screwed. It's death. That, I mean, just what a shot and what, you know, what cojones to, to step up and, and actually make that happen. I mean, it, it was not only fun to watch on TV, but I got to know, were you there to watch that happen? Were you, were you within striking distance? No, I wasn't there Sunday afternoon. Uh, they were decently regulating on it. And I, I had been getting up at three o'clock in the morning every day for what, four or five straight days and was just not, not about hanging out. I wanted to go home. Uh, a little bit of a bummer. I did watch it. And uh, to be honest with you, with you know, saying no one ever talked about him, I had very little to no clue who Colin, Colin was before that. And I was talking to it with my buddy. And he goes, dude, how do you not know him? Like, I worked at Cal. I talk about him. Like, I've met him. Like, he's awesome. He goes, dude, he's a Cal guy. And I was like, well, I don't like Cal. And <laughs> but, you know, I'm definitely after, you know, I watched a lot of his old highlights things and, like, a few of his interviews, huge fan of that dude now. And then, obviously, just the way he plays and uh, watching him through the week, you know, put him on my personal radar. You know, it's just me. You know, obviously, everyone knows him now. But, you know, I think that's – Part of why no one really talked about him too much is he's never he hasn't really made too big of a splash yet. But now there's not going to be a tournament in the next five years that no one's going to talk about that shot on 16. No, for sure that uh, that shot cemented him hands down um, in the talk of, of legends within within major championship golf. And I, I don't think it, it not even are we going to talk about it. That shot itself is going to be on the highlight reels of PGA Championship. Uh, you know television oh, forever. For, forever forever i mean that, that that's yeah. just that that's iconic from now until the end of time um yeah. which, which was so cool to be able to witness and and to so cool for you to say hey man i was you know i was in there doing work on that hole and, and i i manicured i manicured that person i probably stepped foot on where he had you know interactions with that entire hole oh i, I guarantee you i did because i cleaned up and set up that tee in the morning so uh, welcome colin yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and if you're listening, I made sure that there was nothing on that tee box for you to hit that. You're welcome. So Follow I'm not I'm not saying Trevor Larson had direct impact for Colin Morikawa winning that tournament, but if he if that tee box wasn't manicured as well as it was, there's no there's no chance that happened. So I mean, you heard it here first. No, it's the Colin himself, obviously, and then you gotta give all the credit to a lot of the TPC arting part like hired on crew any of the guys from the Olympic club and the entire volunteer staff. I mean, I haven't worked with I, too many people. This is the first time I got to do it with a big diverse group from different courses and different areas. And it couldn't have been more professional, more on point and more precise of a crew in such a little amount of time. It was so impressive to see these folks just come together, have the, the same goal of making this the best course it could possibly be and just going out and executing it flawlessly. Like, I couldn't believe how well they had it organized and just how perfect that course looked, not only in person, but even on TV, which is actually a little harder to do. I mean, what was, the, what was the stress level like? Because I feel like the job's stressful enough, especially when you're at, like, private clubs trying to care for the members and make sure that everyone's happy. I mean, now you're catering to, you know, these pros that everything has to be – absolute perfect or they'll start crying about do um but like what was like did you run into any 
any levels of like high end stress or just kind of see like those kind of supervising everybody, just like the pressure that's on them regarding, you know, how they're setting up the course and making sure that everything is pristine and just perfect. Yeah. Personally, I, I didn't feel any, I was blowing off the tees and making sure it was clean. I didn't have too much pressure on myself, but yeah, the, the guys at the top running around, even the, anyone with the radio, essentially, it, it was all go, go, go. I didn't see any of them crack or anything. They all held their own, but yeah, there was a definite high level of stress. And I know, I believe it was Friday. This, there's something up with the seventh pin. They had to run out and change it real quick. You know, there, there's a lot of stuff that you never see or hear on TV that does go down. Um, you know, if anything happens on the course, whether it's a divot or a hole in one that happens, they blow the whip out. They got to go out there and change it real, real quick. And uh, that didn't happen at TBC, but they did have to change uh, the seventh hole. Uh, I think it was Saturday, actually. I don't remember what day. But um, yeah, they, they were on, on edge up until we all got pulled off. We were all sitting back, and then they were the chillest dudes you could meet and talk to and hanging out. You know, the mechanics were rolling. If anything was broken, everything was getting gassed back up, ready for the evening. And then, yeah, it was um, it was too well organized for these guys to be pulling their hair out. And that's on that, that's on them. They were the ones that organized it. They did it. I mean, those dudes were true pros. And I was definitely very happy to be able to, to learn from it and, and bring it into my future endeavors. I mean, let's talk about that a little bit, because I think that's the coolest thing. Not only did they pull you from, from your area in California, but like, let's talk about where all these folks came in from to help out and, and really make it all happen. Was it all California guys or were there guys from all over the country that came in to make this, you know, PGA professional major happen via the grounds crew? Like where all were these guys coming from? Majority of people were California that I spoke to. There's a couple from LA, uh, a lot from the Bay Area, Napa Valley area. Uh, I didn't really think there was anyone from out of state that I talked to. Uh, one of the guys who already works for TPC Harding Park, he's from England. He was funny. Uh, he, we rolled up on our cart. He said, oh, is that the special bus? And I said, I don't think it's short enough. And then he laughed his ass off with his little accent and it made me giggle and it was great. Uh, but it, he and then uh, I think maybe the super, the assistant super, one of the heads. Also, his family was from Ireland, but that doesn't really count for people coming in. But I, yeah, I don't think there's too many people from out of state. I know I've been trying to get on with the U.S. Open at Wingfoot, New York, and they're not taking me because I'm from out of state. They're not doing any out of state volunteers this year, which is a huge bummer because I was really looking forward to that. Um, so I, I'm assuming with the, with California's regulations, it's probably the same same idea. That, that's honestly looking back on it and kind of understanding, you know, I, I knew a couple guys on the PA crew that went up to Oakmont. I think it's really neat that, that, you know, organizations, whether it's the PGA or whether it's the USGA, they pull from the entire state to, to fund that kind of collective, you know, formative effort to, to have these events via volunteers. And, and it's neat to see the entire state come together when a major championships held in their own state. And now, granted, like you said, I, I think if it weren't the times we were in and the restrictiveness of the travel and, and, you know, you have it right now, I think they would have those out-of-state volunteers. But I think even still, I think it's really neat to know that, like, from North to South California, everyone came together to make this championship happen, which was kind of what you ended up seeing 
And, and I think what is just the, the overall collective effort, whether it's from the entire nation into one area or just the entire state, it's awesome to see each and every little club or big club get represented in somebody having a hand in making this thing come together. Yeah, it, it was definitely, uh, you know, a mix and match crew of uh, guys and gals coming in and, and, like I said, having one goal and executing it perfectly. I mean, it, it was great. Everyone was on top of it. No one was late. There was no, there was no bullshit. It was just get there, get to work, get it done, get off. I mean, you know, it was, it was cool. It was, I can't stress you enough how well it was done with uh, those guys at TV's Harding Park. They're, they're fantastic. That's awesome, man. And I know there's one thing you talked about, which is like kind of like the cup cutting process and some of the innovative tools you use to uh, do the cup cutting. But like, what other thing maybe did you take out from your experience that you can say, you know what, I'm going to use that for the rest of my, my career. Like I, I'm going to take that and hone that into wherever I go, no matter where I end up golf course wise, that's like an everlasting impact on, on it had on you to take back forever. The, the organization really that's that was the biggest one other than just a couple of tricks of the trade the organization just staying cool you know there's there's no reason to, to to freak out to yell at your crew to lose your mind and and make everyone else stressed out it's all about keeping a level head staying even keel and just and executing you got to understand that you know if something happens it happened you can't erase someone fucking up the grass you can't you can't do any of that it's going to regrow it's good whatever uh you got to just fix it and move on um but yeah i think the organization of it is is going to be the best thing that i could ever take out of that and just how how well they did it and that's what i'm going to bring into wherever club that i'll run at some point hopefully yeah absolutely you know it's just cool to see things like on this scale go so smoothly because i feel like it, it makes people like you and it makes people like, uh, you know, just kind of at, at different clubs or anything like that realize like, Hey, if this grand event can go so smoothly and run so well, then you know what the problems I have at my smaller club, maybe don't seem so bad after all, like, you know, <laughs> we're running a major championship style event and, and we can make this happen. Like I can go back to my country club or my even resort that has, you know, maybe a couple courses and I can figure out a way to get it done because this was on such a grand scale and we were able to make this golf event happen. So it's really neat just to see, like to hear you say that the organization is bar none, the thing you're going to take back and, and really implement into your day-to-day -day life. Yeah, definitely. It, uh, you know, it's going to last with me forever and I'm going to pass it on to whoever I teach eventually and, and everything else, you know, it's, uh, it was the coolest experience I've had in golf other than being able to play some of these places. But now that's on the list next to be able to play, you know, kind of poke in there with a couple of guys I met. I think that's the coolest thing too, is just the relationships you probably made while you were there. And to say, you know what, like I didn't just meet these guys for one weekend or one long weekend and then we'll never talk again. I feel like a lot of the times you make these relationships with other supers, with other insistent supers and say, you know, Hey, let's, let's get together again. Let's, you know, let's brainstorm. Let's, let's get a golf trip together. And the relationships you make during that weekend of just volunteering end up taking you to really, really cool places down the line in the golf industry. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, this is one that's on there that's going to be played and I'm going to get some other guys on my courses and, and, you know, contacts are huge.
Awesome, man. Well, hey, I appreciate you joining us. I appreciate you uh, walking us through the uh, the entire experience of, of the grounds crew volunteer position out at the PGA Championship at TPC Harding Park. So, uh, dude, you're welcome on this show anytime. Am I, am I the first, like, second timer? You are the second second timer, I believe. Oh, man. I know. I was hoping you're, for that number one spot, man. But I can first you into the first returning greenskeeper position in, on the pod. I'm the only one. I'm still the only one. I and think. still the only one. So here you are. All right. Hold fine. your head hold your head proud on that. Dude, my head's always up proud, except for when it's 110 outside. My AC did just get fixed though. So we're looking Well, I mean, good. hey, I'm glad to bring some good luck to your home here. Hopefully. I mean, I'm not gonna give it to you unless you're gonna give me Colin shot on sixteen. I mean, I gave you Colin the good conditions that set up the shot on sixteen. <laughs> so, you know, I'm gonna give you a little, but not the whole thing. All right. That works. That works. Well, I'm glad to be back on. It's always fun. Um, you know, you guys got to come out to California and, and play some, uh, some sunshine golf out here where you're not going to get rained and lightning on most likely. I mean, turn down the thermostat below three digits and then we'll think about it. Give it another month and you're, you got it. My man. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, as always, you can check out this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, as well as our YouTube page. Go check it out. If you want to see the man, the myth, the legend, Trevor Larson, full frontal face, you can check it out. Not, not full frontal. Not full frontal. <laughs> <laughs>the people's grounds crew, the enjoy the walk grounds crew. It's always fun mucking it up with him, man. It's, uh, it's pretty cool to have a guy in the industry that loves his job as much as uh, we love doing what we do on the podcast. And it's just cool to hear his perspective. And it was awesome to uh, be able to, you know, see the inside take on what the setup, the course setup, and, and everything that goes into, uh, you know, setting up a major championship venue. And especially during these COVID times when there's no fans. So, uh, I felt like that was just uh, super awesome to sit down with him. Yeah, it was. It was um, it was insane on how much goes on behind the scenes. Obviously, you know, in the back of your mind that a lot does go on and a lot is happening and there's just things left and right. I mean, it's nonstop for these guys to make sure that these tour players are, you know, they're, they're walking on, I don't know, the most pure thing that can possibly be. And, they're playing it. I mean, because these guys have a job to do. They're trying to, they're trying to win tournaments. And you know, on the back end, there's other guys trying to make sure that that's set up perfectly for them to go out and win. I mean, in a are you as as are you as amazed as I am? The entire conversation, and we we hit on some really really awesome, like kind of behind the scenes stuff. Are you amazed that they do sweep from tee to green that, and everything in between? You know what? Yes. And 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 and, I, and if you know, I said it already before. It's crazy because you see, you see these guys. I mean, they wear they wear these outfits, and it's like they get no dirt on them. They get no any type of stain from like watermarks or anything. Their shoes are crystal clear, like perfectly. Like if they're wearing white shoes, they're they're, I mean, white as can be. It's it's insane, and, and it half the part is the fact that they like i said it before they they do sweep they sweep the entire course so there there's not an ounce of 
of water that's getting on their on their clothing or their shoes and it was like kind of like eye-opening for me or just kind of you know mind-blown the fact that it kind of makes sense because you know I play in the mornings a lot and if I'm wearing pants I'm soaked I mean, just like, let's think about it. And, and you had a little brush in with your own professional tournament experience uh, today. Uh, we're recording on Monday. So you had the experience today, August 17th. And what I want to know is, how did your PGA professional golf experience um, rate today to the way Trevor experienced the PGA championship this past week? And, and take people through what exactly it was that you experienced with the, uh, with the PGA. Okay, yeah. So um, for those that don't know, before all of this, about a year ago, you know, Dalton and I this discussing before Enjoy the Walk was I we want we want to get in the golf industry, and it was like one way, like how how are we going to do it? You know, I have limited experience um, working like grounds crew or working at a golf course or driving range or even like a retail store. I basically have no no golf business experience, and I thought what would be the best way for me to kind of kind of get my foot in the door with, with the limited experience that I had. And I had people mention me that said, go out and take the PAT test. Well, what's the PAT test? Well, the PGA has multiple events throughout the course of the year at each different section. Um, it's the player's ability test. And what that is, that basically is a 36 hole event in which you have a target score majority of it is around like 157 um there is a calculation on what depending on the course slope and the rating on how it's calculated of what is needed to score um but the event i played in i needed we played at like 6400 yards um pretty short and we had to shoot 157 so basically 78 79 was the was a score and you're playing 36 i'm talking it's not saturday sunday it's it's one day event 36 holes i was gonna say and this only i feel like rivals what they consider the longest day in golf already but that's u.s open qualifying before all this covid stuff the the last uh you know what they call i guess regional or sectional qualifying is 36 holes in one day yeah at most venues and, and they call that the longest you know, longest competition in golf. So you competed in what is formally known as in, in a USGA format, the longest day in golf, but in just a PAT qualifying perspective. So, I mean, A, kudos to you. It's 1045 where we're at. You're still up and at them and, and, and hitting it hard on the podcast. So first, kudos to, you know, staying alive through today. And, you know, second of all, take us through the day. I mean, what does the setup look like walking into it? And, from what I feel like, everyone who's going to take a P PAT test are some pretty like-minded guys. You know, what did you see when you were out there? So, um, well, first and foremost, this is like if this is like the route to go for the like the club professional route. This is like the head pro for any of those are kind of like confused. Let me get that out there. These are you know these are your club pros. These are your director of golf. These are the guys like you know the top guys at the golf course. This is like. This is the route you go into. Like a lot of the assistant professionals, you know, assistant one, two, and three that, you know, want to take their next step and get into that head professional um, and then even become kind of like that master, um, you know, you want to get into like the Butch Harmon or the George Gankis says, this is the avenue you go. So 
I got up around in between like five, five thirty in the morning. My tea time was eight thirty. My first tea time. Uh, I was about thirty-five minutes away, roughly. So I wanted to get there, and then the route I take. I mean, I don't know what's going on with COVID, but the route I take to get there is always backed up with rush hour traffic. So I'm like, gosh, shit. So I'm like, how how do I want to finagle this to where I get there in time? I wanted to get there at least an hour, hour and a half before, because if there was registration and all this and that, that we had to go through and make sure that I didn't miss anything or whatnot. There's so, always, there's always a, a pit in your stomach when you have a tournament like this in a day where you just never want to be late because you yeah. know, it means the world and it means the world to you. And it meant the world to, you know, your future in the golf industry. And whether it's that or a Monday qualifier or anyone who's ever played tournament golf, I think they can understand where you're saying is like, well, there's just no chance I'm being late for this. I'll I mean, be two hours you, early before have, I'm late for this. Then you have the thoughts like, all right, I'm driving there. I want to make sure no flat tires or anything. I want to <laughs> make sure I have a full tank of gas. Like everything that comes to mind of a possible just you not getting there at all creeps into your head. So you're Absolutely. sitting there freaking out. So, I mean, the night before I was packing peanut butter sandwiches. I have this – I knew it was going to be hot. I'm wearing uh, – I had this – gallon jug that I was filling up with water I was making sure every I had my any type of notes or anything that I had to play mm -hmm. with like the you know get me along through the course I had next to my wallet next to my keys I had everything that I need because the last thing I grab are you know my phone wallet keys and then I'm good to go so if anything that's extra needed I put next to that so I make sure I did not forget it I think so, Adam, Adam Sandler put it best. He's got a little parody song out there. It's phone, wallet, keys, phone, wallet, keys, phone, yep. wallet, keys, pat, bitch, pat, please. Pat. Yeah. Pat, pat, pat. <laughs> like everyone knows that's the pat, pat, pat before you yeah. go out the door. You just do that. Every guy, pat, pat, pat. <laughs> right. So I get up there, I get there in plenty of time. No issues, no traffic issues, no delays, nothing. Cool. Perfect. Get there, just kind of unwind, kind of stretch, relax, get up there. Really wasn't there like kind of like registration, but there was all PGA guys, like these older guys, and they had, you know, they're taking the precautionary actions mm -hmm. and due to COVID, so they all had their mask on, but they're all decked out in like this nice PGA polo, so you can see who they were. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, the putting green was right there. Um, I got – carts are allowed, so apparently I found that this used to be a walking event, and caddies are allowed, but due to COVID, no caddies are allowed, no spectators are allowed. But against two years ago, they issued carts because uh, before you had to walk it. They issued carts to keep up, keep the pace of play up. Um, because I mean, you were playing legit golf. There's no gimmies. There's no, there's no nothing. I mean, you were playing straight up golf, ball down. Good luck. Yeah, and I mean that, I that, that's great tournament golf, and and I'm I, I'm just. You know, some some events, even to this day, they're handicapped events, and they're like, you know, well, don't exceed six or this, that, or the other. And it's cool to see that, like, the PGA is at least holding true in the fact of, like, all right, well, the members that are going to be teaching others and running, you know, actual golf, you know, resorts or golf country clubs, they're going to have the truest test in order to get to that kind of stature in our industry. Yep. And it – it was it was wild. So I got I got everything like taken care of. And funny thing was we're all wearing pants because we got an email the night before that each sec each section of the PGA decides basic set rules for like these PAT tests. And they decided since it's theoretically a 
quote unquote professional event, pants are required. So that kind of, I kind of stepped back and kind of took that in a little bit. I basically played a professional event and I thought that was pretty remarkable to, to think about because I'm no pro, <laughs> right? But I mean, you're going for the, so there's the professional golfer and then there's the club professional, mm-hmm. right? So the, a lot of people get that mixed up, but theoretically you are still categorized as a professional. Well, I was going to say, and, and what people often I feel like forget is there's a difference, like you said, between like what Isaiah plays in, in, in professional player events. Yes. And, and, and then, like you said, the club pro events that's registered as a professional through the PGA tour as a teaching professional or a club professional. There's a huge difference in category between those two terms professional. When you talk about obviously status, but then, you know, everyday duties, Isaiah's everyday duties are to go out and practice as much as humanly possible and try and shoot 62. Your everyday duties would be when you, when you obtain that professional status, because I know you will are to have that status, not only as a professional in the end and teach others the game, but to run a golf, you know, community, run a golf resort, run a golf club. And and that's, what's all in. And I know you're going to break it down for us a little later, but like, that's, what's all within the club professional side of things versus a true golf professional like your PGA pros you see on Saturdays and Sundays. Exactly. That is to the T pretty much correct. And we can get into it a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like, and due to COVID, everybody got their own cart. So we got our own cart. So I got all, I had my book bag full of stuff, extra clothes just in case if it rained or whatnot, or, or I got like soaking wet because it's going to be hot. I, I just had everything possibly needed just in case. Um, grab my cart, head over to the range, warm up and, you know, eight thirty rolls around and, um, here we go. I mean, tee off and we, we just go, but like before that, actually eight thirty rolls up, I pull up, there's a, there's a gentleman there standing next to the first tee. Um, he introduces just like any tournament introduces everybody, gives us the rules, the lay down, the scorecards. And then he goes, so since it's 36 holes, he goes, all right, you have four and a half hours to play. Your next tee times one. Make sure you make, so now at the, (laughs) so now you're on the, on the brink of, all right, well, I have, uh, we're starting at 830. I want to make sure I'm focused. I want to make sure every shot, I'm going through every shot well, going through my routine because everything counts Uh because they give you a target score that you have to hit. And it was 157. So throughout the two rounds, however, I needed to do it and needed to get done, I had to shoot 157 aggregate score. So I can go 72, 85, or whatever, right? Or how, or go, I don't know, 102, and then shoot a 50. <laughs> I mean, yeah, a course record followed up by a course worst. You ever know. I mean, the possibilities are endless in this crazy game. Average, you got to have one round 78, one round 79, which is doable. Done it before. Doing it back to back, it's tough. It it is tough because if you start blowing up on certain holes, you start thinking, okay, well, if I get – I need to get this hole – I need to score this par in this hole if I can get a birdie that can help me out there. So now you start thinking ahead, which is 
probably the first thing you shouldn't do. And I've been told multiple times by people uh, that have taken it. It says just go hole by hole and shot for shot and just add it up at the end. And if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you can do it again. There's there's hundreds and thousands of events and you can always come back the following year and take it at the same place that you just just attempted it at. And I think so, that's cool too. And, and the one thing you mentioned too, which I think is awesome, is like you don't have to wait a year if you don't want to to take it at the same place. You can go to a different state or, or a different venue and also take the player's exam. So I think it's something where it's cool. And I know you wanted to get into it as well of what you did qualify for, even though you didn't completely pass. But I think it's cool that like, you know, hey, you, you, you quote unquote failed. And I hate that term, but you quote unquote failed which, you know, you obviously didn't because we're going to get into what you did accomplish, but you quote unquote did not pass, but you have the ability to say, all right, well, where's the next one? I'm going to go try there. And if it's not the same event that you tried then, or the same venue, then you can go play again. And I think that's, what's really cool about it because it's not just saying, Hey, see you next year. It's a, Hey, just go check out what else we offer. And it's not the fact that, well, you failed tough luck, find something else. There's hundreds of events for you to give it a shot and give it a go. And I found out today, speaking of that, so I didn't pass. I shot <laughs> three over the target score. I went 77-83 for 160. And dude, the way it was rolling the first seven holes, all pars, I said, holy shit, we got this. Like, just keep it going, keep it going, keep it in front, keep it in front. But before we, if we want to get into that, I found out that based on one of the rounds, if you shot, I believe it was 80, that I found out that day, if it was 83 or below, you qualified to be able to take the book work, which will eventually get you into the apprentice status. So that kind of shocked me to where I said, wow, I actually, I'm sitting here going in. I need to pass this mm -hmm. in order to take the next step. To, to the book work because like there was no other option no other, other option that's that's yeah. all that's all I had this tunnel vision I said I had and I'm sitting there trying I was like I want to try and shoot like one or two over par so then I can kind of that was a kind of like my focus shoot like 72 74 because then it can kind of give me a little bit leeway mm -hmm. just in case if I do have a couple bad holes so that was in the back of my mind to when I found that out I said oh cool so I came out shot 77 on the first first 18 they said well i qualified so that's kind of cool so that's that was huge and, and i today i took today very positive i thought i played extremely well i had a couple bad just bad breaks and that that's golf but i thought i ex played extremely well i handled myself extremely well i enjoyed it it was one of the best experience and the truest test of golf for me personally that i've ever gone through and I, I mean, I can't wait to get back out there again and take another test, but now I know I can go take the coursework, get that completed out of the way, be labeled as an apprentice. And then I can focus in on just passing the, the actual P the, the playing test, because that's the hardest part of the entire thing. Which I have no doubt in my mind, you will do. It was your first experience doing it. You know, looking back on the grand scheme of things, you haven't played a ton of tournament golf. Like, let's be honest in the grand scheme of like, you know, what you're 27 right now, you're 28, somewhere around there, maybe 29, 29, 29. you're 29. Okay. Yeah. You know, give a little, take a little, but you're 29 years old. And in the grand scheme of things, there's a four year period where you've been playing some serious, serious golf. Correct. That's yeah. not a lot of time. 
no. to actually pick up the clubs, get serious, take it seriously, and and play tournaments. And, and to a fact of, okay, not just tournaments, but like PAT, hey, if I pass, I'm going to be a PGA professional tournament, style tournaments. And I think that's awesome. And I'm just so pumped that you at least made some headway in the right direction. And and even if you did, so let's let's take a step back. Even if you didn't, pass enough to get to the point of to say apprenticeship I would still say you made headway in getting in a positive direction because you played you experienced it and I always feel like win or lose experiencing that setting in where you have to play 36 a day you have to play 36 in tournament golf a day when you go back and try it again there can only be positive things taken from it because you now look back at it and say all right well how did I prepare I played pretty well in my first round and then I just took it and kind of maybe lost my way, got a little tired the second round. So how do I better prepare for the next time around? And how do I approach 36 holes differently? And, and so I feel like from an experience standpoint, there's no way you can look at it and say it was all bad. But then yeah. you got an awesome news come in late that it was, hey, I can now do the book work and even make more headway. So it was just, I'm, I'm pumped for you. And, you know, it wasn't the full outcome you wanted, but you at least made some awesome progress in the direction that you went ahead in the industry. And, and that to me is just, it, it's exciting for not only us as a podcast, but just for me to you as a friend is like, dude, hell yeah. You like, you made progress at the one thing you set out to do today. And that's all that matters. Uh, yes, absolutely. And I appreciate <laughs> that because it, and it, like you said, it was, I, you know, I went in there thinking I had to do one thing and turned out, no, you had two, op there's two options to go. And so I actually took a couple steps forward. I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't like I didn't go anywhere and it wasn't as if I took a step back. I mean, even if, even if I didn't like, say if I went 83, 83, mm -hmm. I already took a step forward because now I learned a lot more, learned what I need to work on. And it was a great learning experience to see that kind of type of, I guess you can say professional event kind of thrown together and, you know, playing 36 is tough. It's I, just tough. I, it's just tough. I forever say there's a lot of grand tests in different sporting events, whether it's, you know, marathons or things like that. And, I, and I'll challenge anyone to not only the physical fortitude it takes to get through 40 to get through 36 holes, but the mental test a 36 hole day is on the golf course. Now, granted, you said you guys played pretty quick, but even still, that's usually four hours on top of four hours with usually an hour in between, sometimes less, sometimes more, depending on the structure of the event. You're talking a nine hour day just at the course, let alone you get up, you eat breakfast, you travel to, you travel from all in all usually 36 hole events unless you're staying at a like a resort where you're at the venue to begin with you're talking a a, a 10 11 plus hour day just to to play in a, a, a golf event so it's a it's a strain on the body overall mentally and physically um and it's just it, it's awesome for if you didn't succeed the first time around to experience it and like i said just going back on what i said earlier experience is everything going back into approaching your next one. And, and I don't think in the grand scheme of things either, you can ever look at it as a failure going through it and having a positive attitude at the end of it. You, you're correct. I mean, it was, <laughs> I mean, it was all positive. I mean, I had a blast and it was definitely a great test of golf, especially with the 36 holes. Cause I've played hundreds of rounds 
36 on a mm-hmm. weekend. But I mean, I go out, play my morning game, grab a bite to eat, go back out, see a buddy or mine or two that's going out. And I'm, you know, I'm just practicing. I'm just messing around. I'm just out there playing golf because I want to play more golf that day. The day we still got a lot of daylight, but to flip the switch and play 36 where every single shot counts, it right. really weigh on you. I mean, like you said, it's, it's a long day. I was up at five, five thirty in the morning and I didn't get home until about four forty five. 445 five o'clock at night so I mean it and it was non-stop there was really no break I mean we, they gave us a half an hour lunch in between but the tea was open and you know we had a kind of a groove going so they gave us this little kind of like box uh box lunch with a sandwich mm-hmm. and chips and and a fountain drink and we just grabbed it threw it back in our cart and went right to the next tea so I mean we basically played one through 18 took a little pit stop and went right back to one and then continued on. So, I mean, there, there really wasn't a set. Let me just take a step back, sit in the chair. I don't know, wash up, maybe take a little cat nap real quick, but it was, it was go, go, go from the start as soon as we teed off. Which is cool, man. It's one of those things, too, where I always felt like in, in that situation, I've played a couple of events like that. Um, one of them being uh, the U.S. Am qualifiers were always 36 holes. Um, and then one of them being um, actually caddying in, in the kind of retrospect, caddied um, in a 36-hole event uh, same day uh, for when Isaiah played in the, uh, the U.S. or I'm sorry, the uh, Pennsylvania Am. And uh and we got down to match play. So we, we were playing close to 36 a day. Um, none of his matches went all 18, but it was, you know, still close enough. And it was to the point where it was like, dude, I, I didn't make many swings, but just carrying a bag and walking 36, like was, was a grueling day nonetheless. And, you know, to experience kind of both sides of it, playing and caddying. Um, I know at the end of the day, you're ready to just kick the feet up and pass right out. Like there's no, there's no, uh, there's nothing else in your mind except getting to bed. So, uh, you know, like I, like I said again, man, just kudos to the effort you gave today. I'm, I'm pumped to see you succeed at it in the future because I know you will. Um, and in the meantime, get done with the coursework and, and kick that coursework's ass and, uh, and be that far ahead the next time you approach it. Yeah, that, that coursework, I, they were telling me about that. That was insane because you have to – that's where, like, this is where, like, the club professional aspect comes in. Like, the coursework is you have to go down to Florida – for a week and you do all these seminars and mm-hmm. from my understanding that's where they teach you kind of all the golf operations tournament operations calligraphy i mean you got to have someone who's you know look at all the clubs that everyone's part of when you play when you play your member guests and the and the assistant or the club pros putting the scores up and the and the writing is like the numbers are like perfect mm-hmm. you know you learn that kind of thing you, know, you learn club building you learn turf management you kind of learn everything the, of the business side of golf and running a golf course and, and a pro shop that's where that's where all the coursework comes into uh which is is really cool so you you got to go down there for a week do all these seminars and then do all this homework and then do do like a final like written test that's the easy part yeah i, the I hard agree part is the play <laughs> so my so my aspect was like i thought all right i'm gonna go take the pat pass the playing portion of it and then take the bookwork so i didn't pass today but i had the opportunity to now take the bookwork to where so i kind of 
now my, I guess you could say everything kind of flipped. So now my focus is, all right, well, let me get this book work done so I can get that out of the way, be in this apprentice status, and then I can really focus my game and scoring aspect on the playing part and then just sign up for a bunch just in case and then in hopes the first one I take, I, I pass. So, yeah, what? I'm – I'm excited. I, I tell you what, man, I think, uh, you know, you, as you described, uh, you, you said you're going to go back and attempt it. I think you're already really, really close. Obviously three strokes in the grand scheme of two rounds um, is the blink of an eye. It's, it's nah. not that many strokes. So you're so close already, man. And uh, I, I have no doubt in my mind that when you, when you go back and attempt it again, whether it's at the same course or whether it's a new venue, um, you're, you're going to pass it with, uh, with ease. And you're going to be looking at it with your last nine to go. Like, man, what a great position I'm in uh, compared to last time. And there's going to be a sense of comfort there uh, the second time you go about this, uh, this playing test. Yeah. I mean, they send you your scores. <laughs> like, like you hand in your scorecard and the guys on the computer punching them in. And then immediately you get an email with your scorecard. <laughs> I mean, I had, so the rough, I, I like I said, it was, they haven't cut it in 10 weeks, just mm -hmm. not the setup for the, for the tournament to make it difficult because they, they, they set it up for kind of, I'm not saying they set it up easy, but they're not sitting there tucking pins. Right. right. Um, the rough, the course hasn't cut the rough in over 10 weeks. And I'm telling you, it was ankle deep for most knee deep for me for being as short as I am, but it was, it, it was thick. I mean, it, it looked like stuff you would see on TV and on tour. I mean, there was a lot of times where, you know, we you're hitting it in the open, in rough, like you see it land, and you roll up there and you can't find it. I mean, it happened to me on the 10th hole. I, you know, I didn't hit the best of shots, but I didn't hit it to a point where, you know, it was blatantly out of bounds. And it just, like, clipped something. And next thing you know, we walk up there, can't find it, can't find it. We'll get guess what? Now that's deemed as a lost ball. So okay. what I have to do, I have to go back to the team, re-hit. So now I'm hitting three. Didn't hit it great. Just kind of put myself in another bad spot. Had to punch it up. Then I had to chip it on. I'm like, all right, well, let's see. And I came up short. I was like, all right, well, I need to try and save this for six. Did it. Bang. Seven. That's three. Triple <laughs> bogey on a par four. Right there is the three strokes. I mean, granted, there's a lot of other times I could have made up for it. But if you mm -hmm. want to look at the scorecard on the second round, like right in front of you, where's the three strokes? It's three over on the 10th hole. So, I mean, it, it, it was yeah, there right it there is. in my there hands. It is. <laughs> but, you know, there's that happens. That's golf. So, it's like, all right, how do I take that triple bogey and, you know, not think too far ahead of what I need to do, but focus on the next shot at hand and, and try, like, all right, let me see if I can try and get a couple birdies here without – thinking too far ahead so it it was a I did think about it a lot <laughs> I I said I was getting to a point I just kept like just was struggling scrambling and that's like one of the biggest things I took out of that was I need to work on scrambling that could have saved me like crazy because I just came up short or pulled or pushed right of the green a little bit and you know just get trying to get up and down you know that's that's huge 
especially because all you're trying to do is make pars. Well, you know, you really and, and this is always like, you know, I've played a lot of tournament golf as well, and I know exactly what you're saying. You always feel like the thing you struggle with in that last round that costs you the ton of strokes, you're like, well, I need to go grind on that. And honestly, like, I, I'll, I look back on a lot of my rounds that I've played in and a lot of the tournament golf. Honestly, the, the stuff that I struggle with in the moment Yes, obviously the, the nerves probably got to me or whatever, and it was one of those things where it wasn't as polished as I'd like to be. But where I will come on like the catch-22 of that is I don't necessarily think you have to absolutely grind your balls off in that aspect because a lot of times it's just the nerves. And I think what, what it boils down to is not just to put yourself um, in a position where you feel like you need to grind on the short game as particular as the rest of it but i think you just need to put yourself in more tournament golf positions than than anything because at the end of the day you know you can go you can go hit chip shot after chip shot after chip shot and try and make these 10 15 footers and if you don't put yourself in the tournament golf pressure well then none of that practice really matters yeah and and that's what i find is like even just in a club championship standpoint like i didn't find myself in that kind of uh, setting for a while and I struggled on the last day of my club championship and it, I just kind of looked back at it and was like well I wasn't in tournament golf position so when I felt the pressure that only you get from being in tournament golf well there it is that's why I struggled so I, I, I think I think less grinding on the short game for you and more just like you know what enter a couple more tournaments that actually mean uh, mean, a, mean a little bit more than you know ten dollars out of your pocket and then and then it might be uh, it might be something you see some good dividends in the future of playing those kind of events yeah and then another thing too is adapting quickly when you're out on the course so you know as it as it gets warmer and you know the first round was all in due the second round it was it was kind of dry I mean we did get a lot of rain so it was still soft but from what I noticed in the first round and the second round some of the greens got a little bit quicker but the greens were still soft and what I noticed in the first round that they were very receptive Mm -hmm. so I immediately took stronger lofted wedges when I was chipping on the greens because when they were hitting into the ground into the into the turf on the green I'm telling you they were sticking and they just like or they just wouldn't bounce or they would just stop so now I know it's like let me take a uh a you know more more lower lofted club Mm kind of instead of chipping with you know my lob wedge maybe chip with the sand wedge or or even a gap wedge and see if I can just bump it up there oh 100 you know? and that's what's and cool then, about that's what's cool about like you know finding it in yourself too because that ends up being the point where you dive deeper as a player and understand all right hey you know not i didn't practice this this wasn't something i just grinded on last week i know how to hit the shot already and like you said i'm adapting to the conditions so instead of hitting that high checker like i used to i'm gonna play that bump and run because things are firmer that high checker is just not gonna work anymore and it's just adapting the conditions in front of you. And, and that's cool to hear you say that because that tells me that you weren't just like out there winging it. Like there was thought behind every, every shot. And that tells me too, dude, you're going to be way more than fine the next time you go at this PAT. Oh uh, yeah. And it, and like another thing too, was one I had, I had, um, you know, your body gets tired, whether mm-hmm. you, you try and stay hydrated or not, your body's tired. So now you take when I was reading numbers, I was just taking one extra club, maybe choking down a quarter of an inch and just taking a smoother swing and just getting the ball there. And that was the name of the game. So, so that was another thing. And, you know, I played a practice round Saturday and, you know, I was taking notes on what to hit off the tee and just stuck to a game plan. I didn't 
I didn't care about my opponents, whether if they were out driving me or whatnot, or if we we're on a short par four and they're pulling, you know, there was one hole that was um, 270 yards and these guys are pulling, you know, drivers and three woods trying to go for it. It's like, nope, I just, from playing, you know, my practice rounds, I know my game. I said, I'm sticking to my guns and I'm, I'm taking, I took four iron off the tee both times. I said, I'm, I don't care whether there's wind, if the wind switches or it gets former, firmer I'm, I'm sticking to my game plan and mm-hmm. you know just fairway green fairway green two putt and get the hell off that was my game plan and it and it and it paid off obviously it paid off Besides, a couple of things just didn't go my way but honestly i mean i would say 90 percent of it, it 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 paid off well hey and here's the you know the kind of end all be all everyone knows golf's never going to be a perfect round no matter if you shoot a course record or not you always look back at it and say well damn I missed one or two out there. And you know what? It happens to everybody. And, and if they can say that, you know what, well, I played a perfect round today. Well, then they're lying to you. They're just straight up lying to you. So um, it's awesome to kind of look back on rounds like this and always take the positives away from it. And I think you were able to do so. And that's, uh, that's kind of what's been coolest, uh, the coolest thing about it. So I'm looking forward to see how you do this book work and, and what all is involved in the book work. I, I, I'm excited I mean, to see what goes down that road. And I'm excited and, to see you take this test again in a couple months and say, Hey, you know what, down the road, I, I kicked this test's ass and it's because I failed the first time around and I learned a lot from it. And yeah, I think, and, you know, it's just, it's well, awesome to kind of be able to see this perspective now. And we're going to look, look, we're going to look back on it laughing down the future. No doubt. And I got to, I got to give a shout out to uh, Chris, Chris Bonacore. He's a, um, he's a head pro currently at Medford Lakes Country Club, which is really pretty much around the corner from where I would play at. And I was looking to possibly take an inside outside job uh, at his course a couple years ago, but you know, things just didn't pan out and didn't line up. So I unfortunately took it, but I haven't seen him in over a year. And he walked up to me and said, Dante, how's it going? Hey, it's Chris, remember Medford? I was like, oh, hey, how's it going? You know, he's, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's gone through what I'm trying to go through. So I can use him um, and shout out to you, Chris. You know, we exchange his numbers. So like, if I do have any questions, I could reach out to him and basically say, hey, like, what's my next step? So what do I need to do? This and that. So he was kind of giving me the details before we teed off as well. So, it, and, and that's what the great part of it is, you're, what I, took most and what I loved about it is the group I was with and the guys that you're with you know it's and this is why I love the golf industry it's it's all of that camaraderie we all you know root for each other and if one kind of falls we try and you know everybody kind of gets around and picks them back up and that that's how it was today I mean everybody was just rooting for each other I mean uh trying to wrap this up but like same thing I lost ball on the second hole second round and you know I walked back and I was like, I don't know where the ball is. I, I hit it. It was perfectly like in play, don't know where. And the dude, the guys that were behind us were like, yeah, like we, we know, man, it, it, it's just a struggle. And he goes, they're just like, just, just get back into it, get back into it. And, you know, I ended up reteeing. I hit my shot on the green and drained a 40 footer for basically, I it was a bogey, but it would have been a birdie if it was not the third ball off the right, team. Right. And I saw them on the next hole. I was like, I made a five on that hole. They're like, fist bumping and everything they're like keep it going keep it going and it was that's what it was about and that's what I thought taken away from everything about that that was the best part and you know we talked about this with Trevor too a little bit and we talked about this you and I before we even got on uh before we even got on the show tonight and and you said the same thing it was like everyone knows when you're stepping on property that day what the common goal is 
you'd like to see every guy in that field break 157 and, and, and pass their test. It's not like there's a cut. It's like, all right, shoot better than 157. Have a nice day. Here's your, you know, here's your pass, whatever. And that's the cool thing about it. And that's what I love about it. It's like, there's not guys saying, well, if you beat me, then I'm, you know, then I'm screwed. It's like, no, it's like you break 157. We're all good. And, and I, and I, it's cool to hear that that was that general camaraderie about it. It's like, Hey, you pass, I pass, we all pass. Like, let's go. Like, let's, let's do this thing. And, and that's what I love about it. And I think that's what I love about, you know, the golf industry, golf professionals in general. I feel like once you pass to, and once you get into that quote unquote brotherhood, cause that's what I feel like it is. There's that common bond there of like, Hey, we all had to grind. We all had to, we, we know the steps to get a part of this, whether you went to a golf management school right out of high school or whether you kind of did, you know, your route where you're saying, Hey, I actually love the golf industry enough to get into it later in my life. Or, you know, even the guys in the thirties, you know, late thirties saying, Hey, I was a mechanic or this, that, or this before it. And Hey, you know what? I hated what I did then. And I love golf and here's what I'm going to do. There's so many avenues to get into the position you were at today. But yet again, it, it brought everyone together on the same level playing field through the game of golf and said, I don't care what your previous past was. I don't care how you got here, but you're here now. And you're, you're, you're shooting for 157. The number's 157. And that's all, that's all it is today. It's you against the course, and it's mainly you against 157. That's what it was today. We were all against 157, and we just had to try and beat it. And if we didn't, well, you know, I mean, my entire group, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't break 157. But, you know, we were, all root, we were all rooting for each other, even if there was a few stretch of holes where, you know, it, it looked like you, you know, in, their, in your mind, you can be like, well, I'm done. But it was it was a hell of a time, and I, well, I'm going to do it all over again. Absolutely, I was gonna say there's not. A, I hope I get to do it all over again. Yeah, there's a damn right I'm gonna do it all over I'm again. Do it all over and that's again. the best part about it. So I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm looking forward to uh, talking about it more as you dive into everything that there is behind the uh, you know behind the scenes of of becoming a PGA uh, pro at a at a course near us, hopefully. So, um, guys, if you want to follow along with uh, everything going on with his journey follow us at enjoy the walk pod on instagram and twitter as well as checking out our youtube page which you can find this podcast on a day enjoy the walk podcast on youtube Uh, we have every episode that we've ever done season one and the season two we're in now um, published on there so you guys can follow along see our faces put the faces to the names and put faces to the names of our guests that you're hearing on our podcast every day so uh, i hope you guys enjoy this episode and if you do we're doing a really cool thing right now um we had some extra merchandise kind of pile up and we want to get rid of it so what better way to do it than to uh to see you know our faithful listeners if you've made it this far and you haven't reviewed our podcast yet on itunes go to itunes and there's a little review button it's a rating and review you have to leave a rating to give us a review but if you do both send us a little screenshot send us that share of what you guys have shared with the world about our podcast doesn't have to be great if you think we're a one-star podcast give us a one star i don't give a shit but you know i hope it's a four or five star and i hope it's good news and i hope you guys are enjoying it and if you do we'll send you a free merch merchandise item it's just a little uh gift from us to you to appreciate your listenership and to uh kind of clean house and and uh you know get in store for some really cool drops down the line here. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope you guys uh, keep following along and keep sharing because that's the other cool thing. We've, we've had a lot of people find us via word of mouth. 
from our current listeners, uh, our current friends and family, and the current kind of, you know, golf community that we found ourselves in so far throughout this podcast. So as always, guys, thanks so much for listening. Um, keep following along because Dante's going to do the damn thing. And Dante's going to get that, uh, that pass to the PAT sometime in the near future. And uh, I'm excited to see it. So like I said, guys, as always, follow us at Enjoy the Walk Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Give us a subscribe. Till next week, carry your clubs and enjoy the walk. Shut